Hi, I'm Ryan North. I'm Lori Fungi. And I'm Sean Wilson. You're listening to Foster Family Matters, a production of CK Family Services. People united through God to enhance the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of at-risk children and families. Welcome back to Foster Family Matters. We are so excited that you decided to join us today and spend a little bit of your time uh, listening to uh, listening to the words that we have to say. They're good oh words. You sound like a preacher. Oh my! I, you know what? I feel a little bit like Ooh. a preacher. <laughs> Everyone, take your Bibles out and turn to James one twenty seven. Oh, is that the right, that's, that the right that, verse? That's, that's, the, that's a... the affirmation for foster care and orphan care verse. Go ahead and spit it. I I know you got it. Um, the Ryan paraphrased version of the Bible, <laughs> yes. religion that God the Father uh, sees as faultless and pure, is to care for widows and orphans in their distress and not to not be corrupted by the world. Amen. So today we have a uh, a first for our show, and I'm pretty excited to uh, to to introduce our guest, and and we will introduce our guest in just a moment. Uh, I, I do want to ask Lori and and Ryan how we're doing today. Doing well. I'm excited. I'm yeah. really excited for this content and with having Lauren here and just learning a little bit more about the whole court hearing process and all the legalities that go into it. Absolutely. I, I enjoyed that you started using rhyming couplets in the intro. We are excited that you have decided. Yeah, well, it's very apropos for who our audience is, yes. for who our guest is today, I think, uh, or at least if you follow pop culture from 20 years ago. 25 years ago. <laughs> I, I, so, yeah, so Johnny Cochran, obviously the reference there, but... I remember we had just arrived in the U.S. about um, – that was in June, so about two months, about six weeks before that O.J. Simpson high-speed chase. And hmm. I was watching my first ever live NBA finals on television and I had no idea who O.J. Simpson was. And all of a sudden I was really annoyed that I was watching a Bronco do 20 miles an hour <laughs> on a freeway while the NBA was picture and picture in the bottom corner with no sound. Yeah. yeah. That like, would, who is this man? That would be annoying. So, um, so, and the reason that it's apropos is our guest today is uh, Lauren Hudgens, who, uh, in addition to being a uh, foster parent, adoptive parent uh, through CK Family Services, uh, is an attorney and and works with uh, kiddos who are in the state's conservatorship. And uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna get a lot of good information with Lauren today. We're really looking forward to the discussion. Um, Lauren, welcome. Hi. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to get to answer some questions that I get from foster parents. So often I know that the court process is, it can just be really intimidating and frustrating for foster parents and um, having worn all the hats. I just, I love being able to walk with families mm. through that. So I'm excited to be here today too. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. So um, without any, uh, further ado, I think we just kind of jump into it. I know, Lauren, um, you have made some presentations and, and you've kind of gotten into a situation. It's one of the things that we wanted to bring you on the show for today. Um, you're, you, uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of have, have a passion for supporting other families that are in, in you know, kind of going through this situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just, I think, because I have been, um, and let me say, at this point, Probably about 90% of what I do is um, adoption and representing children in CPS custody as attorney ad litem. Um, but I have also been a foster parent and adopted twice through foster care. And so just having worn all the hats, um, I've, I've been able to see, man, why, why, why don't they have that information or why mm. is this happening that way? And so I can answer my own questions now. And so I, being able to do that, I love to be able to walk with foster families and explain you know, what's going on and, um, and just be able to kind of help ease some of those concerns or give them, you know, advice about where to go if there's a, a real legitimate concern that they mm -hmm. need to follow up on. And that, that is such a valuable resource to have. I mean, we, you know, as an, as a foster care and adoption agency, so, so the show goes out to the world and not everyone who listens is necessarily someone involved in the foster, uh, world here in North Texas. Um, but as a foster care and adoption agency, we, we try to, uh, stay abreast of all of, uh, the relevant information um, for the whole whole landscape of of the foster parent and and adoptive parent experience, um, but uh, uh, you know we're not attorneys and and we don't <laughs> we don't play one on TV. So um, so it's so good to have you in here today. I, I had a question that I wanted to kind of ask to, and I don't know if this will get things started or it may just be a complete sideline that I edit out later, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, guardian ad litem versus attorney ad litem. Like I've heard those terms before. Are they the same thing? Are they synonymous? Are they're they not, different? They're they're usually not the same thing. So generally, and that's one of the things that can be so confusing for foster parents is all of the people that are yes. in and out of their house all mm. the time. Mm. 
Um, and so that, I think that's a great place to start with just understanding who all of the people are. So usually um, in most situations in foster care, as a foster parent, you're going to have your agency worker whose you know job it is to make sure that your home is following all the standards that they're supposed to follow and then also to check in on the child and at, offer support to the foster parent. You've got the um, attorney ad litem. Every CPS case should have an attorney ad litem appointed, and that attorney's role is to advocate for the child. Um, and it should be that the attorney is being the voice of the child, so to advocate for what the child wants or what we call their expressed objectives, regardless of whether the attorney agrees, if the child is old enough to have an opinion so that literally the court is hearing what the child wants. Um, regardless of whether that's in the child's best interest. Now, if the child is young, too young to, to be able to form that attorney-client relationship, then the attorney at bottom can substitute um, their – I mean, it can decide what they believe is in the best interest of the child. Hmm. Um, but uh, – and that's similar to CASA or, or to the guardian ad litem, who's usually – in most counties, there's also a guardian ad litem appointed – the guardian ad litem's job is to investigate the circumstances and to report to the court what they believe is in the child's best interest. Um, a lot of times that's a CASA. It, sometimes oh, it can okay. be attorney CASA. as well. Um, and it's interesting to me, sometimes um, the attorney ad litem and the guardian ad litem are in agreement about what's in the best interest of the child, and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the different roles. And then you also have an attorney for CPS that represents CPS at those hearings. And then, of course, you have your CPS worker mm-hmm. um, who comes out to the house, usually monthly as well. So that's another important difference, I think, um, for people often they don't understand there, there doesn't seem to be any logic to who shows up when but right. usually your cps worker and your agency worker um and often casa will be there monthly whereas uh, the attorney at bottom the family code says that they're supposed to visit before every court hearing and usually that's going to be about every three months mm-hmm. so um and then sometimes people will have trouble with ad litems who don't show up at all and we right. probably will get to that a little later but yeah. um they're supposed to be there before every court yeah. hearing so you said something um, when you introduced yourself that I that I kind of I wrote down because it really resonated with me. You said that the legal process can be um, can can be somewhere between intimidating and frustrating, and I would say that in our experience, when we first became foster parents, it was intimidating and it moved towards being frustrating. Absolutely. And so now, so now, uh, and I think that was our lack of understanding of how that all worked. I think our frustration was certainly born out of expectations that weren't based in anything other than the way we thought it should happen. Okay. And so when we do intern orientation here with, with pre-service families, um, Elaine and I go into to make a re- try to make this point a couple of times is that the legal process can get frustrating because you're just focused on the child. But there's like so many other things happening in the background or there's the case for the child, there's the case the parents are involved in and a bunch of other things. And we're like doctor's appointments, getting kids enrolled in school therapy appointments. And it's really fast on the home base side of it. But the legal system moves at its own pace, partly because there's a lot going on. And sadly, partly because there's a lot going on overall in, in the system, right? I mean, region three up here, how many kids are in foster care? Oh gosh, I like mean six thousand or something. It, uh, yeah, I mean if you include kinship care, um, the uh, the number of kids that are in um, kind of a paid foster scenario is probably just over four four grand, and and another two grand or so that are in kinship care just in Region Three, which Region Three is nineteen counties, including Tarrant and Dallas uh, counties here in North Texas. So yes, it's it's populated. Uh, it's populated, yeah, it's populated no doubt. But, but we try to like set that expectation for folks right up front that you kind of need to tap your brakes in getting frustrated with the legal system because mm-hmm. the legal system and whatever that encompasses, whatever my opinion of that is, is probably doing the best it can based on the volume and the load on the system. Right. Well, and it's hard to tell people not to get frustrated when they're emotionally invested. Yeah. I mean, we're talking Absolutely. about kids. Um, so I think it's it's really natural, but – not very productive yeah. um, to get frustrated. Now, there there are certainly some things that foster parents can do to try to get involved and to stay involved and stay up to date. I think part of the reason that the process takes as long as it does, too, statutorily, I mean, there are just statutory guidelines as far as we're going to have the adversary hearing within 14 days. We're going to have the status hearing um, 
uh, within about a month, and then we're after, from that, and then we're going to have the initial permanency hearing within 180 days of that adversary hearing, and then we're going to have what we call permanency hearings about every three months after that. Um, and, and just as a side note, people hear permanency hearings and they get real excited about something permanent is going right. to be decided. And so just as a side note, permanency hearings, there's really nothing permanent decided at permanency <laughs> hearings. It's just an update to the court about how the parent's coming on their services, how the child is doing, um, and, and just if there are any concerns or any anything that needs to happen. But we don't get anything permanent until we get to that um, hopefully that CPS has one year before um, they need to either start trial or start a monitored return. Um, and now there there can be circumstances where they um, can gr- the court can grant a six month extension, but in general they've got a year. And so a lot of times you're going to see that whole year and then an extension sometimes, and then maybe even a little more than that. Um, if if there is termination, it may take a while before we figure out what what's going to happen for permanency. And some of that in the waiting is just we're waiting on waiting to see if the birth parents are going to work their services. Right. And so there's there's no rushing that. There's nothing the court system can do to rush that. It's just kind of waiting to see, are they going to stay clean? Are they going to do what they need to do to be able to get their child back? Well, and they're granted and allotted that year. I mean, that's their right to, I have this year to prove to the courts, to prove to the judge that I can get clean, that I can get transportation and a good job and a house for the, for the kiddos. Right. Um, well, and there are, if you can uh, terminate based on failure to work services. Right. Right. Within nine months, I mean, you, they have to show that they have not worked services for nine months before you can terminate based on fear to work services. And there's some other grounds like constructive abandonment that if sure. they're not doing anything for six months and mm-hmm. they're not showing up and they're not having any contact and they know their child's in CPS custody, um, you can do that after six months. But the majority of the cases, it, we're we're gonna you're gonna make it to almost the year unless the parent is just not doing anything. Let me clarify something. Going back to that permanency hearing, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the first time that conversations are happening about shifting that permanency? So every kiddo comes into the system and the permanency plan is reunification. Right. Until we get to a place where that may shift based on parents' inability to complete their service plan or any other subsequent reason. And so at that that six month, that 180 days, this is the first time that conversations are saying, maybe should we shift that reunification? to adoption by non-relative or kinship fictive placement where there, those those conversations are happening. Not You're not going to see any action necessarily in terms of the foster parent or what's happening in the court system, but it's just being brought to the table to discuss or to consider. Is that fair? That's really going to vary by county to county. Okay. Um, but I would say, I mean, there are some circumstances like aggravated circumstances where the goal might be termination right after the beginning of the case, if there are aggravated circumstances, um, which are just, there are, the family code sets out um, several instances where the department is relieved of the requirement that they offer the parent services and attempt to reunify. Um, And those are things like having had rights terminated before or certain types of abuse and things like that. So there are circumstances where the goal might be termination um, from closer to the beginning, but the the goal can change. There's always a primary goal and a secondary goal, and those goals can change throughout the case. So even if the goal is changed to termination and adoption by relative or non-relative six months through, because the parent doesn't seem to be is isn't starting to do what they need to do, that could still switch back. You know, three months later, if the parent really gets it in sure. gear, so that can switch back and forth. I honestly, I would say from. From my perspective, that conversation is happening from the very beginning as far as the goal, the formal goal is always going to start as reunification. But based on the history of the parents and um, just the situation, we can kind of see or at least take an educated guess about where we think it's going to go. Now, I've been pleasantly surprised, you know, a couple of times Mm -hmm. of parents that we just didn't think we're going to be able to do what they needed to do. And they've turned it around. And then there's a couple of times where I've seen situations where I thought the parent was going to be able to um, have the support and, and seemed motivated, but just didn't yeah. just didn't follow through. So it's, I think it's an ongoing conversation. It seems pretty fluid throughout mm-hmm. the whole case. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Do you mind, um, before we get into the more concrete, pragmatic. I would love to hear just a little bit about your story and how um, you came into fostering and how you even became a lawyer. I hear that it's there's. (laughs) 
So, well, that, the second part's easy. Oh, well, I went. I went to law school. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that story's not so exciting. It's, it's more like I, I thought I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I'm not good at math or science, and so lawyer it was. Um, and you don't like blood. <laughs> really I love washing my that. hands eight times oh. a day. Uh, my mom always did say that I was uh, excellent at arguing, and but I, I'm not sure that that motivated my decision. Um, no, but as far as becoming um, a foster parent and adoptive parent, um. And gosh, just I, I just can't talk about it without smiling because it's just been so amazing to see what the mm. Lord has done in our lives personally. If you had told me 15 years ago that I was going to be an adoption attorney, I, I kind of, what? Um, because adoption was just not on my radar. It wasn't a big part of my life. I didn't grow up knowing a lot of people that were adopted. Um, but my husband and I were going to a church around that time where, oh, I, and I should say, I was a prosecutor. I was um, worked at the DA, wow. Dallas DA's office and the Hunt County DA's office, and I, my intention was to be a career prosecutor. Mm. Um, but we went to a small church where there were a lot of families who were fostering and adopting, um, and I thought, hey, I'm an attorney. I can do adoptions on the side just to be a part of that ministry. Uh, and God really just started to grow that to the point where um, I was getting to do that a lot on the side to the point where it was really almost too much to do on the side anymore. Um, and then I had the opportunity, another attorney that went to that church um, offered for me to come over and join his practice and bring my adoptions and take over his wills and probate practice. And so that allowed me to go into uh, full-time adoption attorney mode and to get on the wheel uh, to start representing children. And then as I started to do that and started to see the need um, and seeing the kids that are sleeping in the CPS office because there's not enough foster homes. It's mm, crazy, um, isn't it? You know, and my husband and I, we have our two biological children. We have our girl and our boy, and we were good. Yes. Uh, we did not need any more children. And so I really, <laughs> at the beginning, felt like this is my part of the ministry to do adoption. Um, but after you see the need, especially after I started representing kids mm. in CPS custody and just seeing there's some just really amazing kiddos out there that need a home. They need someone to love them. They need someone to pour the love of Christ into them. They yeah. need truth spoken yeah. into their little lives. Um, I mean, and so then it was kind of like, well, how, how could we not? And so I asked my husband if he would be willing to go to an adoption, just an information meeting or sort of a see if God tugged at his heart. Um, and there happened to be a really good one that was put on focus by the family was putting it on locally. And so we went, um, and at the end of that, uh, there were two little cards they handed out, a yellow one and a blue one. And the yellow one, one it said, if you would commit to pray for this ministry, mm. yes. So I'm filling out the yellow one. I can pray. And, and I'll never forget my husband leaning over and saying, no, the blue one. And it was just sort of in that moment, and, and that was for people who were willing to to get started in fostering. And so I, I, as scary as that was for us, because it is, you know, for those of us who've been in, in this uh, ministry for a while, it, it's, oh, okay. And, oh, you have another child. Who's this? You know, it's like no big deal. But right. at the beginning, it seems like a really, it can seem like a really extreme thing to do, especially if you don't have a lot of people in your, um, in your family or your community or friends who are fostering. It just can be kind of a real scary thing to get yeah. into but in that moment I thought okay if he's going to lead out in this we can do it we can do it mm. and um, and I really did get to see just from having the families at our church who did it that you don't it's not just for people who don't have kids you don't have to be a super person to do it like there's yeah. it's just right. normal people living out the gospel in their homes um, and you know once you get that second kid or the third kid or fourth kid eventually it's just it's your new norm and yeah. it's totally doable I mean you've already got one car seat why not add a second right I mean you know and that's not no, I, and I don't Order mean to say that, that it's not completely overwhelming at times because any any number of children can be completely overwhelming at times life is overwhelming life yeah, is yeah overwhelming. absolutely but it's just it's just so worth yeah. it being I single and that. alone can be overwhelming like I don't think the number of of people in your in your sphere necessarily impact that. It has more to do with you and your ability to yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, acclimate to whatever your environment is. A good reference back to our podcast series on attachment and relationships. Thank you, sir. <laughs> set, uh, set, slant. What point? Alley oop. Alley oop. I don't know. Okay. So I was trying to think. When you set the ball, I was thinking volleyball. I was thinking I was like set. I just set the ball for you at the net. Both games had to do with ball. Spike. You spike it. Oh yeah. Set spike. I don't know. Wow. That's probably not going to make it into the show. I bet that's great audio to listen to with all three of us yelling at each other simultaneously. To be fair, we were yelling near each other, not at each other. The general direction of each other. But we digress. 
that's you know that's that's beautiful and um i i just like to encourage you know, we've talked about the number of kids that are in the system here in north texas and and it is important to note we talked about this a little bit but it is important to note that when kids first come into care the plan is always to try to reunite and and there's um you know there's a lot of folks out there that have strong opinions about mm. the work that people do in foster care and adoption uh, yes. especially if you're if you're related to or or somebody who have um have been involved with cps uh, as as a, a parent of a child that's been removed, and we want to be sensitive to you as well. Um, you know the system is not perfect, um, but it's a system that we've got, and and we've got some great people like Lauren working in it um, that are trying to uh, make sure that kids uh, end up where kids are supposed to be. And and we hope that um, you know if you're sitting there, um, maybe in a state of of unhappiness with with the system at this point in time, that that maybe it will be some kind of solace to you to know that. Um, the folks like Lauren really are trying to do, uh, do what's right by the kids and, and by the families. Well, and let me say too, that just from the, from the legal perspective, it, it's been my experience that in, in almost every case, everybody really does want, uh, the birth parent to be successful because we all know that generally if the birth home can be a safe and stable environment, that that's the best place for the children. Right. And so I think sometimes coming into the system, um, the birth parents especially feel like everyone is against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just – that's just not the case. Um, now, you know, it, it ultimately we're going to do what we need to do to keep the child safe um, and stable. And so that may not – that may mean we can't reunify. But, at the, I mean, I, I do want think it's important for them to understand and, and also for foster families to understand that, yes, at the beginning that is the intention. Um, and and I, I tell – Often I will have people, foster parents, who will come in and are, are just – I call them clients because they come in and for an initial consultation and they're interested in adoption, but they don't know what kind of adoption they think they might be interested mm-hmm. in. And we'll talk about foster care and they'll say, well, I just don't know if I could um, love a child and give them back. And I'm sure that's things, something that y'all have discussed on the show probably plenty before. And my response to that is always that if you could love them and not – and if you could have them and not love them and attach them, then we don't need you to be a foster parent. Like yeah. we really need, because as an adult, you are equipped to grieve that loss, but as a child, they have to have that attachment for healthy development. And so if you can go into foster care with the goal of serving that child while that child is in your home, whether that is for five minutes or five weeks or for forever, then you will have served, you will have accomplished your goal. And so it's important for foster parents to remember that at the very, you know, at the beginning, the goal is always reunification. And so their goal should just be to serve those kiddos. And and yes, you know, as you as you attach to them, it's, it is hard and, and you want to be more invested or more involved in what's going on in the court system. And there are certainly ways for foster parents to be more involved. Um, but it's not necessarily going to be, they're not necessarily going to get an invitation. And so there are some things that they can do um, to be more proactive or to be more involved and, and stay up to date with what's going on with the court system. I think there's a fine balance um, in, in, so, in, in a myriad of different ways, emotionally, just that balance of the investment and the commitment to this child Absolutely. and balancing my own emotions of grieving and, and loss and mourning when and should that time come where they're returned or they're placed with a fictive or a kinship um, relative that – it is this it's this push and pull of wanting to follow and do something um, because you feel called to and then wondering if you're going to be equipped enough at the end to be able to to manage yep, through. Absolutely. In addition to the balance of how much do I advocate, how much do I use my voice, my passion, my desires for this child um, versus what does that look like within this system? This this big, daunting, kind of intimidating thing where there's all these people coming into my house and there's a court hearings and a judge and a gavel and a Bible. I mean, all these, I think our mind goes wild of, of trying to understand the unfamiliar. And so sometimes we put in really unrealistic expectations as a part of that while we're trying to navigate. So I know I want to be invested and committed to this child. So therefore, I'm going to be their voice and I'm going to put out what their best interest always with these professionals. And yet it's five, six, seven other professionals that I need to use my voice with or for. And I think that can feel really overwhelming sometimes as a foster parent. Especially if no, if they feel like no one's listening. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and actually, foster parents, I don't, and I don't know that they realize this, but foster parents can actually be really helpful in providing information to everyone. So you know, we all know that CPS workers are busy and they're overworked. So 
you know, as the attorney at bottom, I can't do my job if I don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I don't always get that prompt email about what happened at school or, um, you know, whatever, whatever's going on from the CPS worker. And so I, I I love it when foster parents, when they send that email to their agency or to the caseworker, if they'll just include everybody on that email so that we all know what's going on, because we all have different roles to play. And so it may be that, um, you know, CASA or CPS might, take one position well I might take a completely different position depending on what I think is in the best interest of that child and and maybe we're all going to be on the same page but maybe we're not and so just being able to provide that information to everybody I really appreciate that and so I tell foster parents you know whatever you type up for your agency if you want to send it to me I'd love to have it I'd Mm -hmm. love to know what's going on with that child you know from month to month just so I can know what's going on um so and I think sometimes they don't they don't want to bother the attorney or they don't want to they don't you know they just don't want to overstep their their role or their bounds. But I I appreciate that. I know maybe not all ad litems do, but they should. Yeah, I love that tip. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's. Um, so Lauren has a presentation that she's made uh, various. Um, I think over at Lake Point Church. Yeah, maybe. they have and, a great. Oh, it, let me just put a little plug for the Lake Point Adoption sure, Conference ahead. every <laughs> year. It, it's it, it's so well done. Um, they have just a, a range of professionals who speak on all kinds of topics, um, and it's for people who are interested in adoption, for people who are already fostering, and it's all types of adoption. So it's just a really great, lar- a very large conference that they put on every year. That's well done. Uh, but yes, I do speak at that conference every year and I'll do a class for um, introduction um, to just Adoption Law 101 for people who are just getting started and then do um, Adoption Law 102, which is the legal aspects of foster care, because I found that I had a lot of foster parents coming to my 101 class because they had specific questions about things that were going on in their CPS case mm-hmm. that they just didn't understand. And right. so getting into some of those topics was really too much for the Adoption Law 101. But I love that we started doing the second class so that we can really get into some of that nitty gritty and answer some of those questions that they, especially for those who don't have an attorney on bottom that is communicating with them to be able to answer some of those questions for them. Sure. Well, and so that's, I'm looking at, uh, I'm kind of flipping through the the PowerPoint from that presentation. And I want to, I want to invite you to kind of hit some of the highlights uh, from that presentation. I think the topics in here are, are, are very relevant. Um, you've done a good job in putting this together. But um, we've kind of talked about the the timeline a little bit. We didn't really go into the statutory timeline. Um, we didn't go into a lot of detail, but I think maybe um, I think something that is on the mind of a lot of folks that are fostering and um, you know are maybe uh, open to the possibility of adopting the children that they're fostering is kind of what happens around termination. Like, what are the requirements for termination? What 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 is best interest of the child? What what is how does all that kind of feed into that um, that point in the legal case? Right. Okay. So for in order to terminate, um, the, we have to have two things. We have to have one grounds for termination, and two, the court has to determine that it's in the best interest of the child. So the grounds for termination are statutory. There's a list of them in the Texas Family Code. Um, the most common ones um, generally are going to be that um, the parent has failed to work services um, after nine months. Um, Maybe they have been sentenced um, or convicted of something that's going to be more than two years. Um, Is that set in stone more than two years? It's two years. They're they're going to be in prison or that the sentence lasts longer than two years from the date of the filing of the petition. Mm -hmm. Um, Some other uh, just sort of ones that we see often are rights, uh, their rights have been terminated on another child for what we call D&E grounds, which are endangering grounds. Um, and then also another common one that we see is that the parent has signed an affidavit of voluntary relinquishment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, and this happens a lot when we get to the end of the case, if a parent has not been successful in completing their service plan, CPS will offer what we call a rule 11 or a mediated settlement agreement that basically says, if you will agree to relinquish your rights, mm-hmm. we will, um, work with the, hopefully they're working with the potential adoptive family uh, to come up with some sort of agreement for post-adoption um, contact and mm-hmm. whether that looks like maybe a visit a year if the parent has, you know, has been drug-free or and if the family's comfortable with that or maybe it's, um, you know, an email with a picture update twice a year. That can look like a lot of different things, but CPS will offer that if the parent will sign the affidavit of voluntary relinquishment 
relinquishing their parental rights, that then they'll have this agreement for post-termination contact. Um, so that's pretty frequent. Mm-hmm. And that's no, usually known as mediation. Well, it can, or no. it can happen at a mediation, but not always. So okay. um, if, if the parent, if it's pretty clear the parent is not going to get there and the parent is willing to sign that affidavit of voluntary relinquishment, um, then they might just work with a CPS worker to figure out what that agreement is sure. going to look like. And then they just sign it uh, with with a, a counsel sometimes and sometimes not. It just depends on if an attorney has been appointed at that at that point. Uh, now, if if we're at a point and this is usually if there is an attorney appointed um, where they're not quite in agreement, but CPS wants a trial, then sometimes we will do a mediation to see if we can come to some sort of agreement about post-adoption contact and whether the parent is going to be willing to relinquish. relinquish. Yes. And in my time, I, I'll, I'll say this. In my opinion, there's nothing more courageous or brave for a biological parent to make that decision. Absolutely. And to really honor that parent and and the bravery it took to sign away. And I think more times with not with the mentality of, I can't give this child what she needs, but I know this family can. Right. And And I tell families it can be really helpful. Um, some, Some foster families are comfortable with this. Some are not. But I have had a, I've seen a lot more success with families who are willing to come meet the and birth parent forge in a court relationship. at some yeah. point, right. or, um, or if they will, you know, start a notebook that you send back and forth in the mm-hmm. diaper bag, or um, you know, whatever arrangement they're comfortable with, but something so that they've developed some sort of rapport or relationship with the birth parent in advance, so that the birth parent isn't signing their rights to a completely unknown. If they yeah. if they can see that the the child is being well cared for and that the foster parents really love that child. I think it, it can just make the difference at the end as far as them being willing to relinquish. And not everyone is comfortable with not all fa- uh, foster families are comfortable with that. And and honestly, there have been some times that I have said, I don't think it's a good idea. It's a safety for, concern. Right. For this foster parent to have contact with the birth parent just because of the birth parent's behavior. But in a lot of the situations, I have seen that that has been very helpful. Yeah. And, and it can be, you know, you mentioned uh, it's a brave thing for the biological parent to to kind of relinquish those rights. It's also a brave thing for the for the foster parent or adoptive Absolutely. parent to uh, lean into that and agree to that contact post uh, adoption. Right. Because Absolutely. I think we all kind of well, I'm, I'm not going to say all, but um, many, many folks who have adopted from foster care uh, that I've spoken with have a uh, at least a preliminary concern of you know, I want, I want this to be final. Like when mm-hmm. I adopt, I want the child to be mine. I want their birth history to disappear. And we do a lot of work as an agency, I think, trying to prepare families for the fact that you've got, you've got to honor that child's experience and, and you're joining into it, uh, not erasing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, it's bravery is the, is an excellent word to use, I think on both sides of that coin. Mm-hmm. And keeping that link can really help too, as the child gets older, because when the child has questions, you know, I, 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 tell foster parents all the time, you know, right now, if the child is a, a baby, you, you may not feel like these visits, these visits really are for the birth parent. But as they get older, if the child is interested or has questions or wants to know that, you know where to find them, you know where to find right. the birth parents to be able to, to be able to fill that gap for that child. And that can be helpful if you can keep in contact. Now, what I do see often is the birth parent will sign that rule 11 for the post adoption contact and then is never heard from again. Right. Right. Now that's not certainly not in every case. So there's no guarantee of that, but it, 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 it does happen a lot uh, often. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, let's uh, – I want to try to move things forward a little bit. We're, um, we're doing fine on time and, and this is fantastic information. But um, you, you mentioned Rule 11 agreements. Let's just real briefly go ahead and, and touch on interventions. Um, we've got kind of an agency position and, and stance on that, but I'd, I'd love for you to present you know, what intervention is um, just kind of in a, in a general way. Okay. So um, it, I, I do get a lot of questions about interventions, just foster parents saying, what is it? Should I do it? Um, an intervention is basically where the foster parent, instead of just being placement, uh, hires an attorney and becomes a legal party to the suit. Um, and, and sometimes I'll have foster parents call and everyone everyone is in agreement with what the goal should be and the foster parents in agreement with that goal too. And so in, in those instances, you really don't need one more attorney to say the same thing. Um, it's in instances where 
the foster parent has real legitimate concerns about what's going on and doesn't hear feel like anyone's hearing them and feels like they need to get that information in front of the court, uh, that they not need to talk to an attorney about intervening and actually having a, a legal voice. Now, um, back in 2017, uh, the legislature made some changes that made it a lot harder for foster parents to get standing. Now you have to have, if you're a foster parent, you have to have had the child in your home for a year uh, before you're allowed to intervene. And um, we're, we're trying to we're trying to get creative about that um, in, in cases where we need to to try some other avenues if we really need to get in front of the court. Uh, but for the most part, the rule is for a foster parent, it's a year. Um, and so what I tell people, if they're frustrated and they don't have standing to intervene and, and there is some legitimate concerns, um, some things that they could do instead um, is, is just first making sure that everybody knows the concerns. Because like I said earlier, maybe they're talking to the caseworker, but maybe maybe the ad litem hasn't called them. Maybe mm-hmm. they haven't heard from the ad litem the entire case. Mm-hmm. And so they're not talking to the ad litem. Um, and maybe the ad litem doesn't know about the concerns. So maybe if they um, were to let everybody know, you know, send an email to the CPS worker, you know, these, these were my concerns. As we talked about, here's my concerns. And CC everybody. Let mm-hmm. everybody know these are the concerns. Yes. Um, and then if you don't get a response to that, maybe talking to the CPS worker supervisor or – um, you know, just making sure that before you just kind of throw your hands up and give up, making sure that everybody first is aware of those concerns. Um, and then, you know, you talked about expectations earlier, kind of have low expectations mm-hmm. um, <laughs> because yeah. they are busy. Um, and it, and it's there were certainly there's lots of times where things are not done exactly the way that we feel like they should be. Um, but. <laughs> just kind of is what it is. And so you do your best and voice your concerns, but kind of maybe also pick your battles to yeah. a degree. And this may not be true for you, but I, I tell families, no case is ever the same. But because you're yeah. in it all the time, I'm sure you see some similarities. We do but, see but, a lot <laughs> over and over and over and over and over again. And a lot of the same concerns. Um, and, and I'm with them every time. I totally, you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. able to say, I completely understand where you're coming from. Here's what I think is going to happen because this is what always happens and this is what we can do about it. Uh, One thing I should also mention, though, as far as what they can do, your agency, your agency, like you may not have a voice in the legal system and your agency may not have a representative in court every time, but your agency is your advocate. So make sure your agency knows what's going on. Um, And a lot of times they're a step removed. Um, as far as they don't have the emotional attachment to what's going on. And so they're able to see things a little more objectively and can help sure. navigate whatever conflict might be going on that, that the foster parent needs help with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're, if, especially if you're listening to this and you're a foster parent, adoptive parent in, in Texas, uh, definitely lean on your, your child placing agency that, that licensed you. Um, this whole part of the case uh, where, where uh, an, an intervention is not something that happens in every single case. It's no. actually, I think, pretty rare. Um, but uh, if you get to the point where you feel like that's the only avenue that you've got to uh, to do your part to uh, ensure the child's best interest uh, is played out, um, definitely do so uh, with under the support and the umbrella of your agency. Um, and you know, one of the things that you'll find here in Texas is that uh, you know, I'll say CK in particular, um, our agency. Um, uh, we we support child protective services and the the permanency plan and, and the actions that they take uh, in in the legal sphere. Um, we we are a, a subcontractor of the Department of Family and Protective Services, and as such, it would it would be um, inappropriate for us to uh, to not. Now that doesn't mean that we we don't voice those concerns and we don't advocate, just like you said. But um, when the rubber meets the road, um, we uh, we are not an agency that encourages our our families to uh, to seek intervention because because frequent, frequently when someone's seeking intervention, it's it's um, I'm going to oversimplify this and say it's it's uh, a family and um, uh, kind of saying we, we think that uh, Child Protective Services has it wrong here and, and we need to intervene and, and have a right. different outcome. That's right. Right. Um, so let's move on to uh, – let's see. What do I want to jump into here Well, Well, you look at Overshawn. I just want to revisit that um, talking about no two cases are the same in that so many moving parts are, are in it. There's so many components, whether it's different CPS workers, different investigators, different counties and judge and DAs and all these other people to, to help solidify realistic expectations for families. So often I see, well, my friend's case, mm-hmm. the ad litem came every month to check on and we do this compare and contrast thing, which I can think that can be really unhealthy. And so to break some of that, I say, 
it's different people. It's a di- the game's the same, but the Preach. players are different. And yep. so it's going to be different for you and helping to normalize that we may not know because it's a different team than well, your friend's team. Well, I, I was listening to you and I was thinking, if you want to guarantee your own unhappiness, look at what somebody else has right. and complain Amen. about how you don't have that. <laughs> I like that Apple Watch you have on, Brian. <laughs> Are you covering? And now all of a sudden you feel worse about yourself. (laughs) Oh, Lori, we have a no covet clause in our agreement here. Does that mean I don't get one of these covenant kids mugs when I leave? Oh, you can have two. He only had one. He only had one made for himself. (laughs) (laughs) And stickers. You can have stickers. You can have magnets. We'll we'll be generous with the with the akutrama. You can take the microphone with you. Just (laughs) hold on. A giveaway. Yeah. It's my not, husband might like that, but I don't, I don't know what I would, what I would do with it. It's not I'm a real. <laughs> don't just put it on your shelf like like a trophy kind oh, of thing. Yeah. It's, it's not a real soul. microphone. We're gonna dub this Stupid later. Here. We're just kept capturing your your movement of your mouth. We're gonna put. Yeah, somebody who may or may not sound like you is gonna say <laughs> things that may or may not sync up with your lip movements. <laughs> So uh, I think we're, we we need to try to be moving towards a conclusion, but there's a couple of topics that I want to hit. So okay. I, I know that from my experience supporting foster parents, um, it, it sometimes it was always a shock for me when I was a foster care case manager at an agency to have one of my families give me a call and go, great news. You know, we just heard from or we just came back from court and the judge granted us PMC. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. And Which sometimes it's the way it happens. Yeah. And they, the judge asked right. if we were willing to take PMC. And and I looked at the CPS worker and the CPS shook her head yes. So we, so we said, said yes and right? we came home with PNC. Yeah. Amazes me every time. Yeah. Yes. That happens, but it does happen. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. What um, What is PMC? Let's start there and and then maybe talk about uh, some of the pitfalls, maybe if there's some good things yeah. around yeah. it, that sort of thing. Okay. So PMC stands for Permanent Managing Conservatorship. Um, and what happens is basically at the end of a CPS case, when there's termination, somebody is going to get PMC because somebody has to be the conservator or the custodian of that child. So um, if we're looking at adoption, then a lo- often or most often CPS is going to take PMC and then they're going to facilitate the adoption. There are some cases where CPS will ask the foster parents to take PMC and then CPS dismisses out. Um, I always pe- I, I encourage people to proceed with caution mm-hmm. if they're asked to take PMC for a couple reasons. Should be PWC. You see what I did there? <laughs> proceed with caution. Right, right. Yeah, I like that. Hold um, on. You, hold, hold on. Hold wait on. for it. <laughs> there it is. I thought we were going to get a, I'm gonna mind blown. You want one of those too? How about that? Oh, nice. And just for clarification, because I know in trainings, this can get with so many letters in this journey and acronyms, it can get a little confusing. Prior to the rights being terminated, that child has a status within the the, the state of TMC, TMC for Temporary right. Managing Conservatorship, saying that the state is going to be the conservatorship temporarily until a decision is made, whether that's reunification or another placement. Yes, that's absolutely okay. right. Um, And so the reason I tell people to proceed with caution for PMC, for one, um, is if the child was eligible for benefits, and this is a huge one. um, So any child, uh, when we're if we're looking at adoption, um, we call it subsidy eligible. So if the child is either a white child two or over, excuse me, a minority child two or over, a white child six or over, a part of a sibling group, or has a mental or physical handicapping condition. Um, that child is eligible for certain benefits that continue post-adoption, and that includes uh, Medicaid until they're 18, a continued monthly subsidy, uh, free college tuition for to a state college for as long as the legislature continues that program, and that's for all CPS kids, but that's important as well. And then also CPS will pay for the adoption. So there's this package of benefits that are a great incentive that can be really helpful, especially if the kids have got – um, so needs lots of therapies yes. and things like that, that Medicaid can be a huge, a huge deal. Um, so if the family takes PMC, well, they may have custody of that child, but they don't get any of those benefits for that child. Um, so you just lose eligibility for benefits, which is obviously a big deal. PMC is also, um, it says permanent, but it's permanent until a court says it's not. Mm. So it's kind of like getting. That's good. It's kind of it's like a, a divorce. sticker? <laughs> no, no, no. I think she's do, do I get a little button for that one? Yeah. Oh, man. Man, hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Hold on. This one's for me for okay. missing it. <laughs> 
No, I think that, um, that's a really fa- fantastic point to make. Yeah, because Experiments it's kind of like, somebody decides it's not. Yeah, it's right. like being a di- in a divorce, mm. except for now you're sharing custody with someone you were yeah. never married to. and yes. did not agree. I mean, it's with the birth parents because – uh, now, if rights have been terminated, then, you know, you don't have to worry about the, the birth parents coming back and suing for custody. Mm-hmm. But usually CPS is asking a foster parent to take PMC because they're trying not to terminate parental rights right. because that's easier to convince the birth parents to agree to. That's easier yeah. to convince the birth parents to agree to taking possessory conservatorship and still having some rights rather than terminating their rights, which means that at some point in the future, the birth parent um, could come back and sue for custody to try to get the kids back. And then that CPS is not stepping in there, then it's the foster parents who are going to be bankrolling that custody battle. Yes, um, And so it's just it doesn't give us the permanency that we want both for our family and for the child's. Um, now, on the flip side, there are some instances where I would say it's appropriate to take PMC. If you've got a case where the birth parents have worked most of the services or all of the services, and we're in a position where we're looking at going to trial because they're not going to agree to relinquish because they worked all of the services, but the professionals and the foster parents um, or the placement still have some real legitimate concerns about that child's stability or safety, um, well, if we're afraid we're going to lose the trial, or we, if we think, mm. not just afraid because we're not going to operate out of fear. We're going to operate out of the belief that, you know, God is in control and that we're going to move forward in faith. But if we have some, you know, realistic expectations that there's a good chance that we would not be successful at trial, but we are really concerned about sending that child home, then maybe maybe the best thing to do is to ask the foster parents if they're willing to take permanent managing conservatorship with the expectation that, you know, especially if the foster parents are willing to support reunification past adoption. Now, that takes some – that's a real calling to, mm-hmm. you know, but to, to just continue to kind of take over CPS's role. Mm-hmm. Or I have a lot of families that will come to me after they've taken PMC. Maybe it's a year or two down the road. The parent – the birth parent really hasn't been involved and hasn't paid any child support. And when we just do a private termination and adoption. Yes. So even when you take PMC, there's still the opportunity, potentially the opportunity to adopt. But you're really signing up to – potentially co-parent until that child is 18. Yeah. And that that's what that was going to be my question is that it does go to 18. Mm-hmm. What we've seen probably within the last three years is an increase specifically in Tarrant County of PMC cases starting younger and younger. Um, I know three years ago, I, I was working a case with a two-year-old boy and they were really vying for PMC with the foster family. And it wasn't the first time that I was starting to hear this. And mm-hmm. after that, it became a l- quite bit more common for younger It's pretty kids. common in Dallas county too it is okay um and and it used to just be that they would ask relatives right to take pmc because that's a little bit of a different situation but increasingly i'm seeing cps asking uh, foster parents especially in certain counties to take pmc because it's just easier and faster than going to trial okay well so let's move on to one more topic and then i'll ask for kind of closing thoughts and and maybe what we didn't talk about um but uh let's talk about uh, because you are an adoption attorney let's talk about the costs of a of cps adoption um i see you have a slide about that in your presentation here and um there may be some listening to this that are uh wondering you know if I, if you know if i'm interested in maybe yes. adopting from cps what what kind of cost am i looking at okay well first let me put in a plug as far as contacting an adoption attorney because this is so important i want to make sure we touch on it um, and then i'll move on to the cost but when is the right i get that question a lot when is the right time to contact an attorney yeah. hmm. and you know you might get a different answer from every attorney my um suggestion to foster parents is that they contact an attorney as soon as they have the termination hearing um, because there's a CPS policy that they want you to wait 90 days before you can finalize the adoption. Um, but I'll have people wait that 90 days to call me. And then they say, we're ready for our adoption. And then I start asking for the order and it hasn't been signed yet. Yes. And so um, I just encourage people, as soon as you uh, have termination, contact contact an attorney um, and let them start asking for that paperwork. And then I calendar it every two weeks and keep asking for that paperwork until I get it. And it just kind of keeps the ball rolling, especially because – once you have termination and you're on the adoption road, it just doesn't have the um, the CPS workers aren't as concerned about that case. And mm-hmm. so it may kind of lag. So having an attorney who is there to help keep that ball rolling can really be helpful. Um, as far as the cost, it really depends on the attorney. Mm. I don't, that's not super <laughs> helpful. <laughs> I guess that was um, an easy answer. <laughs> yeah. So again, like I mentioned, if the child is subsidy eligible, um, then the adoption is paid for through the state. The 
foster families just need to make sure that the attorney that they're contacting is contracted through the state to bill the state directly. Mm-hmm. So if I'm doing a subsidy adoption, the the family, uh, the foster family pays nothing out of pocket. It's the birth certificates covered. Um, everything is covered. So um, there's no additional expense for that. So that's that. I think that's an amazing yeah. benefit from the state, which I'm I'm thankful for foster parents to just they do so much already. I'm just mm. thankful for them to not have to shell out the money um, to have to pay for the attorney as well. Now, for those children who are not subsidy eligible, I would encourage people as you're looking for an attorney to it's always a good idea to just even if you're not going to have a subsidy case, ask the attorney if they're contracted with CPS to build the state directly because yes. that's going to tell you yes. if they do a lot of adoption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's going to tell you because I, I have seen attorneys who I know don't really practice adoption very much charge three and four times what I charge yeah. for an adoption mm-hmm. and they don't know. Um, wow. They don't they don't know what to and it just makes me so nervous. Um, and then there are, you know, um, a lot of that also will depend on the county that you're in in Dallas sure. County um, or in Tarrant County or maybe in Collin County. Sometimes the rates are a little higher, but not always. It really just depends. So sometimes it is less expensive to find an attorney in the county that you're adopting in because you're not paying for travel. Mm-hmm. But depending on what county that that is, it might actually be less expensive sure. to um, hire an attorney from out of county because they don't charge as much. So you just kind of ask, I think the Facebook groups, um, I know CK has a great Mm -hmm. Facebook group for foster parents. um, And and there's several other ones I know that are popular chosen ones and a couple other Facebook Mm -hmm. groups. Uh, They can just be really helpful support. I know there's an ongoing dialogue there. Like who's a good attorney for this area. Um, And that's the best recommendation you can get is from other foster families. I agree. We've got a good, a good database, a good basket of attorneys that we use as referrals that yeah, have just absolutely. been really yeah, good to us. An and agency is a good re- a resource yeah. for finding a good attorney as well. Absolutely. Completely unrelated to the question, but I think I'm going to start referring to data sets as baskets. <laughs> I'm getting better with my timing. You are. You I am. Really are. Right? Hold on. Let me give me the, give myself a little. Kudos to you. Right? Uh-huh. Well done, Sean. I- ironically... I just took Mud- your thing and made it about me. But it's no. But ironically, the applause you gave yourself for being better for your timing came five seconds after. <laughs> the children. Uh, really quick before we get to closing thoughts, um, I would love if you just spent just a few minutes talking about um, what's coming up in November, which is National Adoption Day, NAD, um, and kind of what does that mean for you as a lawyer, and 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 how do you feel about it? I always lose probably one of my favorite perks of this job was getting to experience that in different counties and just see the celebration and the communities rally behind something that's very near and dear to my heart. And so um, maybe just a few words on National Adoption Day. Yeah. So I, I love National Adoption Day. It's just fun. Yeah. Um, you know, my primary practice is in Hank County. Now I I go to Dallas and I go to Collin and I go to a lot of the surrounding smaller counties as well. But um in Hunt County, when we do National Adoption Day, our judges dress up as superheroes. And yeah. I know, I think there are some other counties that do that as well. And so, and it's just fun. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a, a good friend who has a son that was adopted, and he still thinks Batman presided over his adoption. Um, <laughs> and it's cool just I love there's that. that. There's nothing wrong with there's that. Yeah. And there's usually balloons and cake. Yeah. And um, so that's a lot of fun. And and cake. we do usually see a lull in adoption leading up to Adoption Day because yeah. we're all, we're saving all of them for National Adoption Day. Um, and, but honestly, like every single adoption I, I get excited about, it never gets old. No. It, every single time it's exciting. Um, and there are definitely some judges that do a great job as far as making making sure the adoptions get to go first, having a little treat for the child and making it special. Um, our judges often will say some really nice things to the foster families, just thanking them for their commitment and what they've done. Um, and so it's just a really special time all the time. But National Adoption Day is definitely fun, and we do look forward to that every year. Do you know when it is in, in Hunt County? I know it's in November. Yeah. <laughs> oh, put on the spot. I, I, don't, I don't know off the top of my head. It's one of the middle weekends. Hold on, hold on. on hold on. It, she deserves this. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching ah! you. Okay, I know. I know. Dallas is, is November twenty third because I'm planning on being at that one. Okay, that's great. Dallas is November twenty third. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And then um, I don't. I may not have hunts on my calendar yet, but I'll be there too. <laughs> you know, just talking about individual adoptions, I always tell our staff, specifically our clinical staff, if you get invited by the foster family you're working with to attend cancel whatever sessions you have that day, do whatever you can do to get to that courthouse because it's just such a silver lining to the emotional work that 
we all do and that this this journey embraces. And so to get that kind of silver lining and just the window of some joy and celebration is really rewarding, I think, right. to all involved. Right. And I really feel like it's the only time that we really celebrate foster parents. Yes. Because otherwise you're kind of in the, the foster parents are really in the background and you're expected to take excellent care of the child mm-hmm. to always be available to do, I mean, like to basically do it all, mm-hmm. um, but don't have anything to say, right. you know, for the most part about anything. And so I, I love, one of the things I love about adoption is that the foster parent, you may take two or three placements before you actually get to adoption, but it's, it's really, I feel like the first time that in, at least in the court setting that the foster parent uh, really gets the credit that they deserve mm-hmm. for all the hard work that they have done. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Amen. Well, so um, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to ask us to have short closing thoughts today, but before we get to that, I, I want to give uh, Lauren an opportunity to uh, let folks know how they can reach out to her. If, if you've got, if uh, you have questions, if, if you know, the, the information we've provided, uh, what did your appetite or you're like, Oh yeah, no, I need to know more about that. Where, where can they reach out to you uh, to get their additional questions? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to, to screen those phone calls. Even if you're in a County that I don't come to, I often, I have people who will just come to, if under certain circumstances, we can do their adoption in Hunt County. Um, and so it just, it just depends on what they're at and what the circumstances are. But even if you're not in a County where I can represent you, I'm still happy to answer questions. Um, and you can call me. My office is 903-455-1288. Uh, and my website is www.hudgenslawfirm.net. That's H-U-D-G-E-O-N-S lawfirm.net. Uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm, I love to walk with foster families and to be able to answer those questions. So I'm always happy to answer those. Excellent. You know, Ryan, I feel like um, I feel like you didn't have as much to say during this episode. Yeah, I have strong emotional feelings that are complicated. Well, I can understand that. <laughs> And maybe we can get to those later. I, I didn't even get a chance to. Uh, she she did a masterful job because she didn't give me a single opening for a lawyer joke. She is so good. Oh, so I'm I probably sorry. shouldn't have warned her in advance that I had a whole uh, bunch yeah. of That's right. I warned you that lawyers like to talk. Well, let's pretend oh, like we're starting. I know. Let's pretend like we're starting over. And, you can just drop one. And okay, she didn't even start it. a single answer with whereas, which is pretty impressive. Oh. Impressive or disappointing? Both. <laughs> you were waiting By for impressive, it. I mean disappointing. Um, what uh, what closing thoughts, if any, do we have uh, for the conversation? I I'll say for myself, I think this has been fantastic, and I I wish that we uh, could go on and on, and um, you know perhaps we'll have opportunity to have you back in or or uh, phone into the show uh, again in the future. Um, you guys have anything? I was just wondering when you turned into somebody from from England because perhaps they'll give an opportunity to phone into the show. <laughs> You're wearing you know, you a little man bun. And yeah, is that English? I, I hope it not. is today for soccer. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, Gareth Bale, obscure reference. Um, no, what, what I was going to say is, um, if you are eligible to adopt in November contact Lauren or, or somebody like that who can help you because one of our four adoptions was a national adoption day in Tarrant mm-hmm. County and um, we actually got permission from CPS. We requested a waiver. He was in our home just a little over five months. He hadn't quite made the six months but they waived the, the last like 28 days or whatever mm-hmm. so we could do it and it was was fun and the courthouse has balloons and superheroes and and he got to sit in the judge's lap and bang the, like mm-hmm. he banged the gavel yep. on his own adoption and she, cool. the judge took pictures with us and then the other um, – the other, you know, we also had some other counties and there was like in the interest of and like the judge was signing stuff and oh, okay, she, like it was just so anticlimactic mm-hmm. just having a regular adoption. It was just a really great celebration and National Adoption Day. And so um, if that is an option for folks, I would highly recommend it because it's really special. We talk about it, my wife and I were talking about last week, mm-hmm. about kind of how, how the judge treated us in the in, in the courtroom. So. It makes a very special day even more special and memorable for the kids. So if you have a chance to do that, uh, do. And if you're concerned about the lawyer fees, you guys usually waive your fees on National Adoption Day, isn't that right? I think it's county to county, so I don't want people to okay. call all their attorneys <laughs> and expect the attorneys to do it for free. But I think that certainly for any subsidy adoption, they're going to not pay anything yeah, anyway. Let me and then for everyone else, it really depends from, from county to county. Mostly filing fees. Let me rephrase that, counselor. <laughs> <laughs> um in the county that we did ours, it was in Tarrant, and uh-huh. so part part of that they did they did weigh the fees. So that was pretty. There fun. are several counties that will do that. Yeah, and yes. she came out to the house and and got to know him and everything, and wasn't involved in that case at all. But I don't even remember her name anymore. But she's 
put a lot of effort into making the day special for us that she didn't have to do. So, mm. yeah. yeah, it was very cool. But there's a lot of people that go into uh, to making this whole thing work. And, um, you know, we certainly uh, appreciate the time that you have spent with us today. Laura, you have anything? You were, yeah, you're stealing my clothes and thought. Mm. And just um, so much gratitude and appreciation for you taking precious time to come and spend here with us today. It's just selfishly, it's just been a real honor um, to have you in here and gaining expertise and wisdom. Um, I just appreciate you in terms of your faith and your drive and your passion for the children. It's it's always nice to be reminded that there are good people involved in the system of all of this and, and to put a face to a name and a voice on the airways for those families that really are feeling in the trenches or maybe the frustrations of this journey to be reminded that you do have people in your corner for you. And so thank you for being oh, one of those so people. Well, you're welcome. And and it I will say it is just, it is a tremendous blessing to me to see over and over again, because I, I I live, you know, the foster parents who are frustrated or are worried for those kids, I live that with them every yeah. single case. So um, I may not be in their home, but I'm feeling it. And so I've just seen cases over and over and over again where I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I'm worried about this. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about this child going home or I'm concerned about this issue. Um, and I've just, it, it, but but I don't know what to do about it. And there's nothing, and that's sort of the position of a foster parent. Often, you know, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. Well, even as the ad litem, I may not see a legal avenue that I can take that will resolve the issue. Right. And I just see God move the mountains over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and over again. And so it it has just been such a tremendous blessing mm-hmm. to have a front row seat, to see the Lord work in these kids' lives, to just, I mean, to just change their lives over and over again. So yeah. it's it's been such an amazing blessing to be able to do that. And I'm I'm so happy to get to to get to be a part of that and that people choose to call me and allow me to be a part of their adoption story. Absolutely. That's cool. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much. Well, guys, I think that's uh, that's going to bring this episode to a close. And in closing, I want to thank you all again for listening. And uh, we are trying to grow the show. So if you uh, like what you hear, uh, feel free to uh, give us a like, uh, share us, uh, tweet us, tweet us. Subscribe. Know, thumbs share up us. us. Share, share us, us with others. Share us. Those don't, you don't keep us to like yourself. That's, like. That would be very you selfish. Start a social network called Share Us. Share Us. Share Us. It may, it huh? may exist. We we might not <laughs> research what shareus.com is. Um, don't Google it yet, anybody. Don't, don't Google it yet. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. yeah. Can you say on upon advice of counsel, don't Google yeah. it on your company <laughs> network? Upon advice of counsel. <laughs> she did it. She did it. Um, but he's not on your company network. Yeah, you, you can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're, we're on Apple, we're on Google, we're on, on all of the other little directories that are out there. We also uh, put out a video uh, of this that we publish on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, uh, you can find us either of those locations and sometimes little snippets and clippets on uh, IGTV. Clip I'm rhyming today, clip baby. Clippets. Snippets <laughs> and clippets. You're inventing words today. Anyway. Hey, every day. Er day. Er day. Er day. Er day. Er day. Er day. <laughs> so, uh, but anyways, thanks you guys. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, we look forward to talking to you again next time. Bye. Bye.